Thank you for listening to the Calgary Business Podcast. As host, I have had the privilege of meeting a number of individuals that have shared fascinating stories from their experiences in the pre-COVID, COVID, and now in the expanded COVID period. Out of 220 podcasts to date, many of my guests have highlighted their commitment to help a variety of charitable and social impact agencies. Examples of two such organizations that have recently stood out to me include, first, the In From The Cold charity that Abir and Aya Al-Qadri from A to Z Liquidation support. They were my guests on episode 220. Second, the Brown Bagging for Calgary's Kids is just one charity that Matthew Andrade and his family business, Gentleman Rogue, are supporting. Matthew was my guest on episode 200. Take the time to consider donating to either one or both of these organizations. Brown Bagging for Calgary Kids can be found at bbck4.org and In From The Cold has a unique website, onesmallgift.ca. Once again, thanks for listening to the Calgary Business Podcast. Have a great day and stay safe. Good afternoon, Neil. Hey, Alan. How are you? Terrific. Welcome to Calgary Business Podcast. Thank you. Welcome and uh, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. So, Neil, I wanted to let you know this is episode number 217. So we're, we're, we're hitting the new year. We'll hit the new year, I don't know, in the late 220s or two, early 220s, maybe. Yeah, that's uh, it's <laughs> an achievement for you. So well done to get to... 217, uh, you know, I've listened to the podcast quite a bit and there's been some great interviews on there. Hopefully I can add to them. Well, thank you for that, Neil. I mean, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's each person like yourself. It's just there's a story to tell and I, I, it, it's just a lot of fun. So, well, let's dig, let's dig right in and, and introduce yourself and tell us the, the seven, the one month project that turned into a seven year journey. Yeah, it's certainly, uh, it's been a journey for sure. Um, I guess very quickly, you and anyone listening can probably pick up on the fact that I don't really have a Calgarian accent. So uh, I uh, moved to Calgary in 2013. Yes. So just after the flood, actually, I remember being in Scotland and uh, people we knew in Calgary letting us know that there'd been a major flood and we were due to come over uh, three weeks after it, uh, which uh, I did. And, you know, Car- Calgary did obviously recover really remarkably quickly from the right. flood, um, which was impressive. And I think that was my first impression of Calgary really was that the fact that they managed to turn a bad event around and turned it into something that actually brought the communities together and brought people together. So uh, in unusual circumstances, it was uh, actually an interesting yeah, no, it's interesting you say. I mean, you make that reference because I, I do, I remember, but I was overseas, and yeah. at that time I was, we were in Dubai, but uh, I do. One of my past podcast guests, Secure Right Mobile, so they, they, they take the containers and 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 fix, you know, convert them, sea containers, and he said during the flood, I was, you know, we were, we were using these as temporary emergency shelters. So it's interesting that you make that reference. Yeah, no, I think I'd spoke to people, you know, when I first came over and, you know, obviously some people got affected a lot worse than others, sure. but it just felt that, you know, there was a really community drive to people working together and helping each other out. And, you know, I, I actually knew someone who was 
you know, a CEO of a company who was just uh, helping people out in his neighborhood. It was just nice. Helping clear out rubbish, helping just tidy things up. And, you know, I think everyone would just help the community. So, you know, so as I say, so that was back in 2013. But you didn't, I, I, you didn't come here to, to uh, bail water out of people's basements. You had, you had another, you had another project in mind. Yeah, there was other plans. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I would have loved to have helped out with a billion of water, but I think that was all done just by the time I got here. Sure. But, uh, yeah, I guess um, where my journey is, a little bit maybe just a little bit about me before we talk about Electron, sure. what we do. So, again, just to give you an idea about, uh, you know, why I joined Electron, how I joined them, and really my journey with them. So my background for you know, many years was as a project manager. So I dealt with a lot of software upgrades, software implementations. So I was right. very software and IT project management and projects in general. Um, in 2008, uh, myself and my wife decided to really just uh, try something different. You know, I'd been doing my job for quite a while. My wife had been doing her role for quite some time as well. So we ended off um, just selling our house, quitting our jobs, selling most of our possessions, and we moved to New Zealand for a year. Oh, okay. So we ended off just doing, a, I guess, a gap year in our early to mid-30s. <laughs> so we did our gap year a little bit later than some people. But uh, we just decided uh, to just try something different. Went out right. to New Zealand for a year. Um, just for family reasons, we had to come back at the end of the year. Um but then when we came back, it was just really, you know, what to do with my life after. I didn't really want to go back directly into project management. Um, for those who have done it for a long time will probably know why. It's pretty draining. It burns you out a lot. So uh, I ended off just kind of almost falling into a role, which uh, was around learning and development. Right. All where training was part of my job. And it's something that I just really enjoyed doing. Um, and then really from there, I did that role for about a year or so, just over a year. And um, I saw that Electra, a company I hadn't heard of, but I saw that they were recruiting, looking for uh, some learning and development people to help uh, join and grow their team. So did the interview process, got the job. I really liked the people who I was going to be working with. And that was back in 2011. Um, and really... Uh, my journey with Electra started from there. So I was actually only in the UK with Electra. So they're based in Scotland. Right. Uh, so my journey, you know, two years with um, the office in Scotland, and there was just an opportunity to come over to Canada, as I say, in 2013. It was with a client that we had in the UK who were actually doing work also over uh, here in Calgary. So we were Cause you're coming, yeah, because you came from Aberdeen, which is the kind of the oil capital of Scotland, yeah. and to Calgary being Canada, Canada's quasi uh, uh, oil capital. Is yeah, and I, guess, and I think that that there's lots, there has been lots of symmetries and lots of similarities between the cities. You know, right. there's obvious differences about geographically. You know, Aberdeen, the coastal city, Calgary isn't, uh, but yeah. in general, a lot of the you know, a lot of the mindset of people was quite similar when it comes to obviously oil and gas being the largest uh, industry in both cities. Sure. So the move, although I'd never actually been in Calgary at all until I actually moved across, but the settling in period is 
was pretty straightforward, to be honest. I knew a couple of people here, so they helped with my transition. Um, also, you know, just getting straight into doing work meant that, you know, I just really got straight into it. So, so do you remember, can you, can you give a shout out to your first client when you came to Calgary? Yeah, I can, for sure. And they're still, you know, a valuable client of ours for the day. So it is uh, Canadian Natural Resources. Oh, yeah, CNRL. So CNRL. Yeah, CNRL. Yeah, CNRL. And I'll give a shout out to Richard Dyson, who was the person who took Electra over or helped take Electra over. Uh, so again, Richard was a, one of the few people that I knew at the time. So uh, I always thank him for his uh, for him helping me uh, move into the city smoothly. And I've bought him lots of meals and drinks since. So, you know, he, he's had his payback. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so we sell business really. And, and we didn't know, I really didn't know how long it was going to be. It was a one-year work permit that I had. Uh, the piece of work was only supposed to last six weeks. Yeah. But... Um, you know, that just grew and grew. Um, towards the end of the first year, you know, I, I liked my time here, so did my wife. And we just thought, let's um, let's extend our time on here for at least another year. It allowed me to hire employee number two of Electra, who then took over some of the work that I'd been doing. Right. And, and really, yeah, it's just, it's kind of grown from there. It's, so what, um, what, speaking of employees, what's the level of staff you have today? compared to back then, I mean, staff of one, now you're... Yeah, so it went from a staff of one in 2013, we're now up to 16, so one six. Yes. Um, and although it doesn't seem huge, and but considering for, you know, the vast majority of the time I've been here, it's been either a downtown or a recession, or yes. just it's been tough times for one reason or another. I think we've, uh, we've grown very steadily over the years. You know, it's been organic growth. You know, we don't do a huge amount of sales and marketing. Uh, doing things like a podcast here does help promote ourselves. But, you know, a lot of um, our growth has came from really just word of mouth and organic growth through projects and people that know within projects. Um, but, yeah, we've got the second person in uh, who I actually took over from Scotland as well. It's someone who'd worked for Electra for a couple of years. Right. They came over. Uh, and towards the end of that um it was about the middle of 2014 they came over and uh, we started hiring Canadians then. We thought we'd have to have people who can understand or be understood. Yeah. <laughs> we decided to start hiring uh, our Canadian task force. Uh, but yeah, it's been good. Uh, we've, uh, as I say, 16 of us as a core staff. And then we also supplement that with you know, pool of contractors that we have for, you know, dependent on clients and projects. Sure. Well, I, gotta ask, I, I have to ask you, the, the name Electra, that doesn't strike as me as a learning or even oil and gas. I mean, is there, is there an origin story behind the name of the company? Yeah, so um, there is. Uh, the full extent of it, uh, I don't know. I think it's, it's, I think it's a Greek mythological reference. Yeah. Um, the lady who's formed Electra and started the company is a lady called Scary Reed. So Scary set up the company in 1997 right and, you know she uh she has told me this story it's usually when we've had a glass or two of wine so i'm sure I'm, one day i'll have to ask her the story sober to find out exactly the origins of the company name but uh i think it's quite memorable you know people remember the name when they hear it you know our logo is quite distinct you know our corporate color is a bright orange which right. again stands out when we're at trade shows and when we're 
doing some of our marketing materials. So, uh, yeah, I'll, I'll get back to you on the exact origins of the name. Alex. No, I was just curious. I was, I was curious because I kind of had visions of the seventy Electra. You know, there's I don't know. There was a, some kind of disco. I don't know what it, it just. It, there's conjures up some kind of a seventies era name. So I I'll, I'll stop there, but. <laughs> so look the, the clients as you said the organic growth i mean obviously the first six week project extended that is that because you know they, they just didn't have the resources people that didn't know what i mean maybe it goes to what you guys were working on the type of project and it was just so unique or how did that extension happen is it's kind of like there were they liked you so much you started to stay yeah i think with crl the, the advantage we had on that project is that we've been working with CNRL uh, for about three years prior to me coming oh, to Calgary. Oh, okay. We had a long-term relationship with them. They knew what we could do for them. Yeah. And I think the reason why they took us over was because they, they were, they just knew what we could do with, we knew what we're capable of. And um, so that, I think, initial six-week piece of work, that was uh, an initial train and rollout. And I guess I'll, I'll probably touch on this a few times as we talk, but it's on a an IBM asset management software called Maximo. Yes. Something that Electra have been specializing in since the you know, mid-2000s. Um, so really, CNRL were implementing uh, the Maximo software at their thermal operations around the Cold Lake area. Right. So I actually spent most of that first six weeks um, up in Cold Lake, uh, delivering the training myself to the teams up there. And then really from there, we ended up starting supporting the users. So it's something that has been a key part of our business uh, service offering for a long time is the um, supporting users, so sustainment support, so coaching, one-on-one support, helping people that way. So really the six-week training delivery piece turned into a coaching exercise. And then... CNRL released some more functionality in the software, which again, we then helped with the training delivery and training support. And really that's how things really just snowballed from there. And as our service offering expanded, uh, also did our client base. And yeah. that's when we had to really recruit uh, to build the team up. And now, you know, I'm, I am proud of the fact that we are now the largest learning and development company in North America who specialize in Maximo. So that's been something that's probably one of the key achievements I've felt um, since coming over here. We've built this team that has got a really good reputation with our clients, as I say, yeah. organically grown most of the time. It's, it's just been, it's been a great to watch the, watch the company evolve, watch our service offerings evolve, and just watch the people within the team just evolve as well over the time. So two things that come from that. I mean, first of all, I'll say first, the first question is, what type of employees do you have? Are they all PMP, project management people? I mean, they come out of, where do they come from and what's the profile? Yeah, I think it's, uh, it's there's various ones in there. So I guess if we're looking at us as a company, you know, what we what we focus on is, is change management and the components of it. So training being one part of the change management experience, supporting users as well. So... Um, everything to do with that. So we've got some pro-sci um, qualified change management uh, personnel in the team. Yeah. We've got some learning and development professionals, so people who had a background in learning and development but maybe didn't know Maximo. Um, and we've also got people who know Maximo very well 
and also Microsoft 365, which is another one of our uh, key service offerings, but maybe didn't know so much about training delivery. Right, and right. Consultant. So we take people from either people with a lot of learning and development knowledge and teach them the software skills or people with the software skills and teach them the learning and development. Also, some of them have got that skills already, so those are the ones that could hit the ground running. But what we do, and again, another really proud achievement I think we've done is that we've got uh, an in-house training program called the Electra Academy. Right. So the Electra Academy was actually something that I was you know, responsible for setting up in my time in the UK. Right. And we, we really take it over here. And we don't have any of our um, team doing any client-facing work until they fully graduated from an internal academy program. And that could be anything uh, up to three, four months when we're going through all aspects that they need to know about either software or learning development skills and attributes they would need. And it's a pretty intensive program. And uh, but it seems so, uh, Neil. I just you hit on you hit on something very important. Last week I, I attended a, a virtual conference by Calgary Economic Development, and the keynote speakers one was from Business Council of Alberta, Calgary Economic Development. They talked about talent, training talent. You just hit on something very important. There's like a retaining, adaptability. You didn't say these, but when I'm listening to you, it's like four months and they come out with a sort of a cert, an internal certification, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And this is, this. I mean, this is something. So they spoke about giving micro certifications, retooling people in the industry. It sounds like the training skills, whether they're learning Maximo or something else, I mean, you and I can probably talk about this later but or whatever, but it's, I think there's some really key things you've said here yeah no i think it's you know people are what makes an organization and it's something that we we have to invest this time in people you know for us to be successful what what i want electric to be known for and what i believe we are known for is providing you know a good quality service and actually providing a return on investment to the clients who give us money you know i don't want to be seen as a company who comes in and just earns a quick buck off a project right. and then move up the next one. It's just never, I could never, when I was a project manager, I didn't like companies who had that approach to things. So when I got involved with the company, I didn't want us to have that reputation or that mindset. So I think investing in our own people and, you know, when we hire someone, you know, we're hiring them through, you know, the training program really takes up their whole probationary period. So we could, in theory, it's never happened because we've managed to get everyone graduate. But in theory, we could hire someone, spend their whole probationary period learning on the job. And then if we felt it wasn't going ahead, then they just would leave us at that stage. Right. So I think, uh, and I think this try to sell also, you know, try to sell to our clients. Tough, I guess a part of my job, I was going to say a tough part, but it's not a tough part. It's just a part of my job is to really just make our clients realize that that um, that investing in people is so key. It's so key for them to actually, um, you know, make the most resources. Sorry, make the benefit of the resources that they've got in the project. You know, there's no point of implementing software if it's not actually going to benefit the company or let them see the ROI that they expect in it. So, sure. you know, if they think training is just a pick box exercise, it's not going to prove effective. You know, it's got to be something that's going to be done properly. It's going to be done uh, using the right learning development professionals and also getting the whole change manager experience 
so that the people who are getting trained, they don't turn up to a training room or a virtual training session not knowing why they're there or what the benefit of it would be. Sure. You know, we've got to try and use that communication part prior to training to help with the change management and then really invest in their invest in their team um, to allow them to actually the company themselves to see a return on investment, the users themselves to, you know, um, be, you know, as effective as they can using the software. Well so now speaking of software and speaking of training and learning I mean, has, has COVID impacted you and or your clients and, and, and kind of the internal training, but also your training of clients? How did that change or was it already a change you had in place before? Uh, yeah, it's, it actually came at a good time. I, f- I felt, you know, if you could ever say that COVID came at a good time, the reason why I say that is because things like web conference and software was just becoming much more adopted and yeah. used by people, so things like MS Teams or Zoom or Skype. You know, if um, people were forced into remote learning or remote working, say, six or 12 months prior to when they were around the March time this year, I think the adoption of it would have been much harder because people just weren't so used to using things like Teams. No, that's right. So having that available as a platform, and again, we've, you know, as a business, I won't lie, we've had a a good year when it comes to helping clients with using Microsoft 365. You know, it's we had to identify that clients were going to be using things differently. They were going to change because of COVID. So I guess we had to change as well. So, um, what you, think, sorry, what do you mean they weren't going to change because of COVID? They were going to change. Yeah. Sorry, maybe it was an accident thing there, Alan. I'm saying that I think that they were going to change how they were going to work. So oh. we had to change with yeah, yeah. them. Okay, I see. Sorry. Sorry. The, the Scottish roll in your R's, but that was an N. Weren't something's rolling in as well. You never know. <laughs> there we go. But, but you know, it's interesting. So the tech, okay. So this the tech enables your work. How is tech enabling your work? And uh, outside of Zoom and your internal, are you using internal kind of software SaaSes or anything unique outside of IBM? I mean, maybe it's, that's all you use as well. Yeah, no, I think that is, uh, again, Maxwell itself is generally um, now in the cloud. Most clients uh, use it in the cloud. They're not, they don't have on-premise. Um, so I think that's helped also with even simple things like uh, everyone getting access to the system. So when we're getting access and preparation for yeah. training development and delivery, it makes it easier. Uh, so when it comes to the training delivery, you know, you're basically going to a URL, everyone's clicking into there, and we're... Um, able to get up and running with the training itself. Um, I think, you know, again, just going back to maybe the question about how we feel things have changed since COVID-19. So I think, yeah, the first thing that we had to realize was that our customers would be working differently. So, yes. uh, so it ended off meaning that we would have to work differently. I think over 50% of our work uh, was done at client sites. So it was either in corporate offices or is it site locations like Fort Mac or whatever? Right. So, so the remote travel had to stop immediately. Yeah. So we had to ensure that our services could be delivered entirely remotely and not in person. It's mainly we had been doing. Um, I think. I think. Yeah. I feel as though we, it was a fairly seamless transition because we'd been doing virtual training, remote training, to some extent prior to it. Right. Um, so, and also feel as though you know. There had been a little bit of a stigma around virtual and remote training that people felt it wasn't effective as classroom delivery. 
And you know, everyone's got thoughts on that. You know, do you learn more over a you know over a remote session than you do with a instructor in front of you in a classroom? You know, I think it goes down to the individual. But when we were in the past trying to promote remote training, you know, some people were a little bit hesitant to it because they felt as though they it might not be as effective. But you know, it was forced upon them. Um, you know, clients still had projects in the pipeline; they were still going. Right. Um, so things weren't just going to ground to halt. So we still had to deliver the training that we were going to do. And as I say, using the web conference and software certainly made it uh, more effective. Um, and I think just on the, you know, there's advantages to classroom training for sure, but I think there's also advantages to remote training. Uh, I think using learning techniques uh, like sharing screen assessments, yeah. collabor- collaborating in training scenarios in real time, also using things like instant messaging and polling and quizzes and all these kind of things. It just helps with that, you know, engagement of the learners in different ways of doing it. You know, it's um, you know, it's, it's, it's been a change, but it's been, I think, as seamless and as smooth a change as that I could imagine. You know, it, it, it was forced upon us, but we were in a position where we were ready to do it. And, well, uh, I, I go back, Neil, to my time. When I was in Kazakhstan in 2003, 2004, working with the World Bank, and it, because the World Bank is so widely dispersed, this is 15, 16 years ago, we did online training. The modules were online training. Everything, performance reviews were virtually all online because you couldn't all fly to Washington to do everything. Yeah, I, I think it's exactly, you know, I think it's just, you know, what we like to promote to our clients is, you know, what we refer to as blended learning. So, like, learning is done by every individual learns slightly differently from each other. People retain information differently. So, whether it's, you know, webinars, virtual one-in-one sessions, bigger group sessions virtually, training videos, and also, you know, as a company, what we're, I guess, known for and what we specialize in is, is computer-based training and e-learning development. So, again, we've seen a huge spike in the requirement for e-learning this year. You know, we've actually grown our e-learning team. We've hired uh, an additional couple of people to, you know, just really meet up, meet the demand that we've had for e-learning services. And um, I think it's it's that blended learning approach which is going to be effective with people. You know, it's, um, it's, we've got to, Make sure that you do things like training needs analysis properly. You know, before you go into working with uh, individuals, you, you're talking to the project team, you're talking sure. to the business, you're finding out, you know, what's worked for that client in the past, yeah. what hasn't, you know, what's going to be effective methods of training for them. So uh, I think, I think, I guess the interesting point is, well, what we've seen this year, which has surprised me to an extent, but I can see the reasoning for it, is that uh, the majority of our clients, rather than reduce spending, on training due to COVID have actually increased their spend as they've realized, I think touching back on what we said earlier, that people and the remaining staff they've got, they've got to be trained effectively to ensure yes. operations run as smooth as before. And I think that's been a mindset. In the past, you've always felt, you know, if you know people are cutting budgets, something like training might be something that it would cut first because, you know, it's an excessive, um, you know, indulgence to train their people in how to do something, although it's a false economy not to do that training. That's right. Well, it's interesting you say that because this whole, you know, I listened to, you know, it was a post-COVID and it was the accounting, one of the accounting firms, and he talked about data and data science. People are being forced to do more 
with less or do as much as they did before with less resources, less people. So yep. training on how to use some of these tools is, is very important. And so to that point, and you mentioned a little bit, you got busier. Are you doing other training events that, you know, that sort of here's, here's our training process? Yeah, I think what we're doing, again, just to actually touch on the point, I think it was, it's a key point that you made there was, you know, we'll have to provide, uh, continue to provide our clients with, you know, value for their money and return and investment. But we do realize there's diminishing budgets. So I think for learning development, just for every other uh, business sector, you know, we have to do more with less. And that's yeah. just going to be something that's going to be apparent for, you know, quite some time to come. So for us, you know, it's... Um, what we're trying to do when it comes to learning is we try and be more proactive. So, you know, we've been doing things like we've been running sessions. So we set up sessions which we run for your service, especially for a Microsoft 365 uh, service offering. You know, we, we've set up some workshops. We've set up some uh, webinars. Okay. We've delivered sessions with people really to try and get them engaged to looking at new tools, things like, you know, Teams as you know, in things like OneDrive and OneNote, some of the key Microsoft applications, we've been proactive in sending out information to people. You know, it's things that we built as a company to really try and help with their user adoption of it. Um, and I think setting up these webinars, setting up these um, workshops has helped with people's understanding of the software. And also for the for things like the training, you know, we've tried to, for like some maximum training, we've really restricted the number of people that we're, that we deliver to in the virtual sessions to make right. it most, you know, you don't want to be training to 30 people remotely. You know, if anyone's going to question, they're not going to get heard. They're <laughs> not going to ask the question. Yeah. And, and again, even the simple things like, you know, just controlling and managing that remote classroom environment, you know, making sure that, uh, you know, microphones are off if you're teaching a particular piece and you want people to listen to having either cameras on if you want people engaged visually with each other so there's lots of different things you can do so you, you've got to really i feel covid has you know not forced people but it's made people realize that you've got to be proactive when it comes to learning you've got to really you know push it out there to people and the people who want to learn give them the opportunity to learn and even when it comes to things like again it's something that we've also noticed as well as to make learning accessible for people so sure. with digital tools this has become really easy so we should remain mindful and use things like closed captions in virtual training sessions so, you know if you're talking with an accent you know it's, it's easier for people to understand use webcams for people that lip read or use tags on media content. Uh, oh, really right, that's right. I mean, you see that. You see that more and more on TV and just the mainstream. And, and I think you, during COVID, you probably saw the Alberta and Canada, the, the, what is the, um, uh, for the blind, the, the Braille, not the Braille, the uh, lip, what a, God, I can't even think now, but the, 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 the next closed caption, but the fellow who's done the, gosh, for the, for yeah, the, Sign language, yes, that's the word. Sorry, but you know, and literally, they got they would show how animated, and they're becoming their own right. They're by themselves, their own character, and they're just taking that to the next level. Yeah, I think it's something that's always been. You know, I've actually probably realized it more when uh since I came to Canada when I started doing training. I guess, believe it or not, this is my slowed down Canadian Canadianized version of my Scottish accent. I think. Yeah. 
when I first came, it probably was stronger. So I think even just from having to repeat myself during training sessions, that it made me just mindful that what seems simple and straightforward to me when I would say delivering in my home country where everyone would understand you to, even though you're talking the same language, there is barriers, whether it's people who've got some hearing impairments or whether it's just some sure. accents, it's just really try and make learning accessible for all. And I think that's where e-learning's played a huge part as well. You know, if people, uh, you know, depending on, again, whatever learning risk constraints that they have, if they've got some remote training that they can do through e-learning, they can take their time, work through sure. modules, and be able to learn just as effectively as, you know, what was always seen as a traditional learning format, which was, you know, classroom-based delivery. That's right. I mean, particularly for new hires, or the pre, you know, the pre, as you said, you've, you've got four months in the academy, but also just a lot of companies, they've got different schedules of people hiring for whatever reason, different projects, and, and literally someone missed it. And it's like, it's so, there's a lot of friction. There was a lot of friction for those kind of, yeah, we don't have, we're not offering something for another whatever time, right? So the e-learning element and, and all the other things just improve it. So the e-learning helps you get the one or two people that couldn't get in the mainstream but also that extra add-ons, as you've said, closed caption, maybe the sign language, somebody who speaks a little slower. In the yeah. yeah. Yeah, no, I think that you learn it. It's, it's being, again, we knew it was going to become bigger. Even pre-COVID, we knew it was going to become a bigger and bigger part of, you know, that blended learning approach. But, you know, we've really seen it take off this year. You know, I talk to, I talk to people fairly regularly in the learning development industry and, you know, some of the people who we do work with and have done work with and we talk about, you know, trends and where things are going. And yeah, certainly, um, you know, having having a lot of modules available for people to do. And, you know, they don't have to be long. You know, a good e-learning module shouldn't be like two, three hours in length. You know, you should be focusing on key parts, which are something like, say, 15, sure. 20 minutes long. Shows them a distinct piece of information that's going to help them for sustainment purposes. So it's either, like you say, for new hires to help them get up to speed with things, or for people who've been using systems and also just need to refresh their knowledge. So it's great for um, new start training as well as sustainment training, and you know, it's lots of different benefits of it. So Neil, to uh, to speak to the, about the data, and I I don't, I don't know how you use data and whether it's anonymized or. But I see, for me, I listening to you speaking and the training, the you know diff, different levels for months. You've got a lot of data capture or potential capture, where you can you know send the signals for future for how this will look for a new you know for a new client or so forth. Maybe you can speak to about that, or maybe you don't have an opinion. That's okay too. No, and I think it is when it comes, to, I guess, data and experience and things like this. So you know what we. I think what was beneficial to us when it comes to working with clients is that we're not trying to reinvent the wheel with most of them. And, um, you know, we've got, you know, a toolkit of, um, you know, practical solutions that we implement for most projects. Uh, yeah. Touching back on what I said earlier is that, you know, we, we're, we don't do the copy paste training for clients. I think where we've been successful is that we get to know people's business processes. We get to yeah. know how they work and then we adopt our, experience and toolkit and um, into their business processes. So it ties together so that, you know, we are saving them a lot of time on material development build because we've got a lot of core materials already built from experience over the years. We look at their business processes, work with them, 
tie in our toolkit of um, materials with uh, their business process and it makes a quicker implementation for them. So I think from that, and again, just from data as well, just when it comes back to things like our either anecdotal experience on things or just knowing how projects worked. And I actually read, you know, this is, I read a really interesting blog last week and the number surprised me a bit, but I've looked at a couple other places and it seemed to verify the numbers. Right. Um, it stated that 50 to 70%, so 50 to 70 of project costs and effort should be focused on supporting people through digital change. So that's a huge investment in the project to help and support people with things like change management, with training, with support. You know, in the past, we always said to clients, when I would talk to a client, and they would say to me, how much, how much budget should I align for things like training, for change management? You know, I would you know, suggest around 30 to 50%. That would often be met with resistance as well, thinking surely it can't cost that. <laughs> right. But, um, you know, I think when I read more about it, and it seems to be that the message is becoming clearer that, you know, I think it's refreshing uh, that there's more emphasis on engaging and supporting people through digital transformation at the moment, which um, kind of, I guess it makes my job easier uh, to try and, um, you know, sell electro services to our clients because people are now starting to see the real value in it, maybe more so than they did previously. So do you use, I mean, so the IBM, the, that, that's, a, that's a specific software for asset management you mentioned. Yeah. Do you, I guess, then you're using Microsoft 365 and some back for your own to, to, to help you, your, your behind the scenes. Is that, is that how kind of the, that, that, that would work? You The one yeah. node you mentioned, that's your kind of use of tech from the yeah, so we, Yeah, so as a company, we use Microsoft 365. Yeah. all the time it's our core platform for um storing information sharing information um, so we are using a lot of the power apps within microsoft 365 regular basis. you know we have, we have daily teams meetings so we have our stand-up meeting every day we have teams we have social events over it so the microsoft 365 platform is the you know is the basis of our company and yeah. when it comes to the maximal implementation you know we we're not technical developers and implementers of Maximal. So, you know, we, we don't have guys in our team who do coding. And <laughs> right. We, so we've got, you know, a couple of companies uh, who specialize in the area. Um, so they're the ones who would do the implementation. Um, in, terms of, in terms of tying in the software Maximal, the existing IBM to whatever platforms, whatever tech they're using for their, uh, you know, to, to tie into their, their ERP systems or whatever. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's really it's looking at, you know, they're implementing things like Maximo to try and, you know, streamline their asset maintenance and management processes. So they would have uh, companies come in, do that configuration and development to actually technically, you know, put their SaaS product or whatever into the platform for the client. And really where we take over from at that stage is that they um, we work with some companies who would then effectively say we don't do the training element of this now really hand it over to us for the change yeah. Management part. Yeah. so i think it's just about focusing on you know your speciality and what services that you specialize in you know i've seen you know in this current industry and also in other industries some companies try and spread themselves too thin i think they try and do too much um with you know maybe people who are not quite positioned and placed to do the work that's been asked of them so you know i think 
what we do through our Electra Academy is we ensure that you know our team is ready. You know, when we go to client sites and client projects, we we're ready for pretty much any challenge that's thrown at us. And uh, you know, I don't think there's an experience or a scenario in a project that we haven't had to deal with before. Um, some good, sure. some bad, some ugly, but <laughs> we deal with them and we get on with it. So Neil, you you've said the word change management a few times, and I look at your profile on LinkedIn, and and that that word. How would you? I mean, not, I don't. I don't want to get. I was. I was going to say. How would you say you've implemented a change management? Is it a project or something you've done in during? Let's say, say COVID. What have you done that's sort of change management related, or change transfer? I don't know the word. I mean, maybe I'm using it too loosely. But in a, how, can you give an example of? Yeah, this this is what we did. Is it just the Zoom call or training on that or something bigger? I guess, you know, if, you, if you're looking at what my understanding of what change management is, you know, it's a term that, uh, you know, covers you know, preparing people for and supporting people during and helping individuals and teams um, just and organizations right. when, they're, when they're making any organizational change. So uh, it could be anything to do with that. It could be from, you know, helping them. You know, we've got people in our team who are communications experts who can yeah. help really working with people's uh, corporate communications teams to help them deliver messages on, you know, how are we going to roll out this uh, digital transformation or this new piece of software or whatever to the team so they understand that there's a benefit to the organization for it. And, you know, the change management goes through all the different stages of a really a project when it comes to that uh, implementing let's say software because it's a key thing that we that we focus on whether it's maximal whether it's microsoft 365 yeah uh, and it's other things we, we just help organizations really look at all the challenges required when implementing some new software and really working with them through the different stages so that's the stages when it's you know as i say the cons uh, when it comes to training when it comes to user support when it comes to go live and uh, roll out activities and when it comes to things like floor walking or hyper care of support for teams and then sure. sustainment afterwards so helping them with coaching helping the user support and really just to ensure that you know our clients don't just implement something without giving it due consideration as the best way of doing it. So we we really try and build up that relationship with them. And I think that's why we've been working with clients for a long time, because they just trust us, they trust our word, they trust their advice. Right. And, and we really just try and try and take away as many of the pain points as we can for those who are again having some level of software implementation or digital transformation. This is incredible because what you just said there, I mean, this is a very, thank you for that, by the way, but it's, it's, it's kind of not, it's a holistic view and it might depend on company by company. And it's, it's to your point about learning you do, I think you said earlier, a learning assessment and where are people, where are you, you as a whole, maybe you drill down to department level, individual, it's pretty comprehensive itself, that whole uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. Like things like the training needs analysis. That's you know that's not a twenty minute conversation. You know some of the projects that we've been involved in. You know we've rolled out Maximo to clients who you know I think one client site they had there was three thousand people we were rolling out the software to in a fairly uh, small period of time. So you know we yeah. had to basically fairly heavily resource it. Uh, but also we had to do things like a training needs analysis because there was different parts. You know, this was an oil sands operation. So they've got their 
bitumen production people, they've got the people who are involved in the mining of products, they've got people involved in running the camps and the whole site. So everyone works differently. You know, they're doing different operations within, you know, people just think of something like a big oil sand site and everyone's doing the same kind of thing. But there's, we specialize in role-based training. So we've got to identify the roles of people. You know, I think for one of the, I think for that large site, which had 3,000 people, I think we ended up building something like 27 separate courses just to make sure that we were sure. hitting the right people with the right information. You know, you can't do something too generic, which is going to lose people. So we ended up building around 27 different courses, role-based courses, which allowed us to, you know, Talk to the planners directly. What are the planners required to get out of this? What are the maintenance supervisors doing? What are the engineering team doing? What are the operations people doing? So it's really, you know, it's, I think. It's comprehensive. Think- no, but, it, you know, and listening to you again, 27, this reminds me of, uh, there was, there was uh, an IT friend of mine was uh, doing the port, the installation for the port. So the IT helping all the different, you know, the streams, the consultants that were coming in to do the different, and that almost like a construction project, but it was a, project management of the installation of different systems and integrating tying in and sequencing all that that 27 sounds like to me you had to sequence it all make sure that you know this person got delivered that group had it delivered and you had to coordinate that's a massive project there's your project management skills come in there right there i believe yeah well um there was a big team of people you know our clients will work with uh you know we you have to work closely with them because you know you've yeah. got okay, we've we've got we've got our own electrical learning management system an LMS which you know some of our clients use as their corporate LMS and it's oh, something okay. and I think and you know you have to have something like an LMS to be able to track the users track what track what they've been trained right. on you know, things right. like permissions and security to access something like Maximo is usually based around the training they've received. So they only get the appropriate system access to what they've been trained in. So, you know, right. we're with our clients to track, make sure that we've got the right bums on the seats for the training that we've got, the right, <laughs> you know, we've got the right people in there. So it's, yeah. you know, uh, I find it, you know, this having been from uh, a project management background where, you know, it was largely driven by cost. You know, you're always trying to keep costs down. You're always sure. trying to keep within project timelines. You know, I would spend my day in front of an MS project. We're looking at spreadsheets and just really trying to make sure that everything's uh, meeting the deadlines that have been set. But when you come at it from a different side, when you're the service provider who knows that there's just 101 different things that you've got to consider when it comes to this training delivery. And again, this also goes for small projects as well as big ones. And, uh, sure. you know, for my time at Electra, my time learning, you know, the whole learning and development um, business process, um, it's been fascinating. And I think the people who work with Electra, I think they, you know, I think they just enjoy it, you know. Every day, again, it's it's a bit of a cliche, but no, not one, one, not no two days are the same. You know, things are different, different challenges, different aspects to the role, and sure. uh, I think it it makes it for an exciting and interesting uh, position. So, Neil, I mean, if I take that, let's let's take the bird's eye view, thirty thousand of you. Could you? I mean, I'm almost thinking this is a franchise. Here's the learning template. You know, you mentioned you got your own LMS or your learning management system, but it sounds like maybe I'm wrong. But this is, let's say, here's IBM. Other industries using IBM. We can help. You know what I mean? It's like a template, 
could could you franchise that out? Franchising would be possible. I think expanding is what I would see is how we could do it. You know, I think you're looking at, you know, as I say, we've got a toolkit of resources that we use for when we're doing yeah. projects and project implementations. You know, we have, when we moved to Calgary, we focused predominantly on oil and gas initially. But yep. we have expanded that. You know, we've, we've been working on a, a large uh, mining implementation of Maximo, which actually was based down in Chile. Uh, so we've got a couple of the te- guys in our team are um, first language Spanish speakers. So we just going to say, yeah, now you got now you have language into it. So you yeah, put that exactly. module. Wow. Yeah, so we actually had one of our team went down to Santiago and delivered training to a large number of people down there. Right. We've also been working in utilities projects. There's been some public sector. So I think you know what we've done, which was focused on you know and. You know, we've worked with, you know, some of the big uh, organizations we've worked with. Um, again, CNRL, Synovus, uh, Kiera, Interpipeline, uh, Taka, uh, Altagas. There's been large yeah. oil and gas companies in the city that we've worked with. But the fact that we can really diversify what we do into any industry. Uh, and again, it's not even just in Maximo, you know. There's other systems. It could be SAP. There's uh, JD Edwards. There's um, Infor. There's different th- software in the same. Um, yeah, you just plug in. You plug in the 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 ELS or the electro learning. There's a band there. There's electrolyte. There's ELO. There's a band called ELO. That's what it was. Yeah, I remember them well. <laughs> I am of age. Alan, I am of age. <laughs> you you and I may be the same. The gen. The Gen Z, but or the the uh, the boomers, but no, I'm just I, I had that thought. I wrote this down as a point. You could probably plop in another, take out IBM, put something else in, and there you go. And your system, because what I hear from you is just because it's not just a yeah, we're just going to come and do a two week training. It's a it's a comprehensive approach which has a plug and play, but a, as, as an element that could ubiquitous to other other areas, other platforms or other utilities, but other platforms as well. Yeah, and I think the only limitations in what we do is our own self-imposed limitations. You know, we, um, you know, we want to do it well. You know, we, as I said, quality is sure. due to what we do. We don't want to just. And I've seen companies, and this is way before when I was in my project management days, when I saw companies who would come in, they would grow quicker than they could sustain. They would promise the world to multiple clients and fail in most of them. And those companies didn't go very far or uh, had to completely change their mindset to succeed. So, you know, there is definitely opportunities for a company like Electra with the with the skill set that we've got, with the experience that we've got. You know, we can we can adapt and move into different industries, to different softwares. Um, and it's something but that, this is where to put the camera. You're putting the camera to, to you know to individuals to use it. Maybe somebody needs to turn the camera on Neil and his team to say, "Here's the ELS method, you know, and 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 whatever." And that's I don't know if you've done that. Maybe you have, and you have a videographer following you around, and you're creating that template as you each day. I mean, next six months, you know, the data. That's kind of a, not data, but that's material for sure. Content for your training materials or your your for to to scale. And maybe, I don't know, maybe you've already done that. Yeah, no, I think it's, you know, we've, um, you know, we actually did, had a videographer in fairly recently, and we yeah. um, we actually talked about, you know, it was actually for a trade show, but we talked about, you know, how we feel we've adapted uh, since COVID. So really the whole point of the video that we produced was talking about our, you know, our, um, you know, transition to a COVID world now and how, 
how we've adapted our training, delivery and our services based sure. around it. So that was something that was an interesting example. Um, but just you're like literally thinking of the doctor's office, I was listening to a podcast probably a year ago and he said the doctor's more spends more time because we're so tech enabled. He spends more time, he or she spends more time uploading the tech, dealing with the tech because it's so, there's so much tech, they're over teched. So they want to pull that back so the doctor can do his or her job. And I heard that the other day about someone saying, the engineer, we want to pull it back. So the routine information is done by, you know, let the computer do a little thinking. So now Neil's 27 times, you and your team have done that. How many times have you done the 27 different, you know, and there's probably some of it could be routine, you know, and brought into a, oh, here's a video we have on that, those five elements, guys. Look at this first before we create another, you know what I mean? I, I'm just... I don't know. It is. It's it's a, it's a key point. It's a key point of our e-learning development and service offering. You know, most of our clients now have the core skills of Maximo available through e-learning modules. So yeah. again, don't go into Maximo in too much detail, but things like searching and navigation and creating basic records and completing documentation and completing things in the system. All the key functions, you know, yeah. our clients have been, we've built modules for them. You know, they're modules that breaks down these individual parts of a larger training session. Right. And the benefit right. of this is that we've had people have that as a prerequisite to training. So, you know, they have to do this prior to doing a virtual session. So, you know, classroom yeah. sessions that maybe were two days long before, you know, nobody wants to sit virtually in a training session. <laughs> no. So what we do is try and get that prerequisite courses done ahead of time. Sure. And really the actual, the part in which you're doing the virtual training is really focusing on things which need to be more interactive, need to be more engaging in person as opposed to an e-learning module. So now most of our online delivery sessions are, you know, between two and four hours long because it's we're focusing on the key elements that we need yeah. to do to supplement what they did through e-learning. You know, there's two things. Two things come to mind. One, you said earlier about the thirty, the thirty, the thirty-person class or, or conference call, and the second is that right there. The groups, tw- you know, teams working together. So I listened to a podcast, and the the founder of Slack, who you know, Slack just sold to um, to micro. Is it Microsoft? Wait, no, no. Salesforce bought Slack, and he said. So what he said is, we're trying to recreate that 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 office environment. So the six people are working together for two to three hours on a project. And they create this thing where you get a nudge or a, there's a little like a green light says, Neil, it's like, Neil, are you there? And it's, it's just so that you, it's not like a, a meeting, official meeting. He says, we're trying to recreate it so you can, you can kind of say, Neil, are you in your office? But you create that, that, that environment. So that's kind you of know, cool. I think, yeah, things like using the Microsoft um, products, you know, the Things so you probably have, yeah, you probably have that in Microsoft. The, the... Yeah, you can. You can see who's available. You can see, you know, actually yeah. this morning, you know, I was I was working on something this morning and um, some of the guys in my team are definitely more advanced with their knowledge of parts of technology than I am. So yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I would just ping them a little Teams message and it was just, yeah. I had to, I pinged one guy just about something that I could have, I would have probably had to go to Google, uh, Google it, look through some Google articles, sure. try and interpret what they were saying. And one of the team told me within, you know, he pinged back within a minute and yeah, he yeah, yeah. explained what the what I was looking for. So <laughs> I answered the question within two minutes. It would have taken me maybe 20, 30 minutes previously. And it's just Neil, this, this is it. That's that. That's it right there. But not knowing about that. I mean, I didn't know Microsoft had it. So that's fantastic. 
Now, the second thing is, sorry to cut you off. The second yep. one was a group, a wider group, and you have conferences. And so this, this week I saw it, it was a video, it was a funding for a videographer that comes in, or the video, so you're on, they're making Zoom better. And what they do is you're, you're in a big conference, and let's say you go to a virtual, a real conference, and you need one-on-one. You know, there's that kind of a group setting, and you're standing around and waiting for the next guy to come and talk, you know, like at a, at a, at a function. And you wait around. So what they're doing is now, so that you wait until the person's done talking and you go and talk. So the software is doing is you have an avatar. So I come over to Neil and I stand, my avatar stands by Neil and nudges you that I want to talk to you next. And you acknowledge my avatar with your avatar. And it, I thought that was just fantastic. It's kind of taking yeah. Zoom to the next level. Yeah, and I think yeah, you're going to see things like Zoom and Teams really just evolve. And they're going to, I think the great thing is they've got, several platforms all try to compete with each other so yeah. when you've got competition like that they're going to be driving each other forward you know and you know if one of those platforms kind of sits back and doesn't keep progressing they'll soon get bypassed by other ones yeah. so you know, things yeah. like teams, teams have recently introduced breakout rooms so when you're in a bigger meeting you can do a breakout room where you can have a subset of people talking about things and for training that's great so you might have say yeah people say virtually in a training room but you could break them out into like three different breakout rooms of four people discussing yes. particular topics and then collaborating back together and discussing information so it's um and this is why i think learning and development it's um it's really not going to be affected as badly as some industries you know we've talked and i think maybe 20 minutes ago you asked the question <laughs> what, what you know what's the uh, what's the things that what's what do we see evolving and changing yeah. uh, when it comes to post-COVID era? And you know, learning and development, I think, is going to be as as important, if not more important, for organisations going forward. You know, I think um, they're going to evolve. Fortunately, Electra is a change management company, so we're used to change, so we can change and evolve with them, and we can help them through. You know, I don't like using the word journey, but it is a journey for them to move. But what it is, it is. It's not waiting for the employer to uh, give you the, you know, the, the, the learning. The, actually, they're learning while they're on a Zoom call because there's learning about, like you said, your point about the teams or, you know, learning new things, how to use it. That's a learning in itself. It's fantastic. Yeah, no, I think it's exciting times. I'm really, I'm, um, you know, there's still going to be long going and ongoing challenges with COVID and things like all the prices. Sure sometime to come but you know i'm really excited about the future of learning and i'm really excited about where electra position to really grow and develop within that you know i am slightly biased but i do believe we've got a really really good team and we, you are we, in we, the perfect I, as a learning institution or whatever you want to call yourself you're literally at the forefront because you just i brought up something like oh we're already doing this and this is how we do that that's fantastic because you pass that knowledge to your community yeah, and I think it's a great community. I think, the great, again, there's lots of learning and development conferences. There's webinars. It's a huge community of support and growth yeah. with each other. You know, I talk to professionals regularly to find out what they're doing. You know, we, we borrow ideas off each other. It's all done in the right way. And I think we, you know, we see that the future the future's looking bright, that's for sure. There is a song by that one, but it's a Canadian, I, I think it's Blue Rodeo. Or I don't know, someone sings, the future's so bright, i got to wear shades. Yeah. So, Neil, I'm, I'm not going to ask you to put shades on, but uh, look, where, where do we find, where do people find you? How do people find you on social media? Where? Yeah, probably the best thing, uh, first starting point would be our website. So www.electralearning.com. 
you know, if you also look up our YouTube channel of Electro Learning, you'll see lots of, you know, okay. lots of stuff. We have lots of samples of videos that we've actually produced e-learning modules that we've done. We also post in there regularly about our, you know, some of the things we get up to. You know, the video I talked about, about our approach to, you know, the post-COVID changes, you know, that's yeah. our videos on there. So have a look at our website, uh, have a look at our YouTube channel. Um, again, we're very active on LinkedIn. So again, if you see myself or ourselves on LinkedIn, you know, I, I post pretty much every day. Uh, to try and engage with our audience out there, and also I love, I love you know looking at what what people are working on and doing on LinkedIn. So those are some of our key areas. Feel free to reach out to us, you know, whether it's just whether it's Maximo related, Microsoft three six five related, learning related, or just really learning and development in general. You know, we you know we've been doing this a long time. As I said, since nineteen ninety seven, we've been doing this. So we've evolved so many times over that years and. Nice. Keep us relevant, and I think that's I think that's why we've been successful. Well, Neil, thank you for taking the time. I'm at, I'm at your website now. I should have done this earlier. I just you know the the orange. I see the orange and the kind of a wings. I don't know. It's a wing. Is that what it is? Those wings? Yeah, it's our little wing. That's our logo. The kind of orange wings symbol. Yeah. Well, orange is the new black. There's a Netflix show. <laughs> um, you know, this orange is the new learning tool. Well, I think there was an advert I remember from years ago, and I think it was from the actual cell phone company who were called Orange, and I think it was uh, the future's bright, the future's orange. And I think oh, there you go, yeah. Well, there go. I think that's Orange Telecom in, the, in France, or I think it was in France, wasn't it, or in the UK? Yeah, they were in the UK. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, Neil, thanks so much, and uh, look, stay safe and uh, have a great day. Yeah. Thank you, Alan. All the best for the Christmas period. I hope you and your family have a good one.